Good morning. Thank you, worship team. Great to have Laura up here singing. So great. Henry, give him the call to worship from behind the keyboard back there. So good words. All right. So I'm so uh, grateful to be able to uh, be here this morning and um, open up God's word as we continue this sermon series of Rediscover Church. Uh, so last week, we uh, tackled the topic of loving members inside the church family who are different. It's a really good word because there's lots of people um, just here at New Life that are different from one another. we got to figure out how to coexist, let alone the broader universal church family, which have all sorts of, of backgrounds and personalities and um, priorities and all of that. And so uh, today, though, we shift gears uh, to looking outside the church and um, how to engage with those um, in that setting. So I want to start today just by sharing that staff and myself and our family, we love the church. Uh, we love the fact that we had local church families where we grew up in South Dakota, where, where I got saved and was baptized. And in Minnesota, where Steph got saved, we were part of the local church there. And uh, in Indiana, um, Steph got baptized there. Our girls were born within that church family. And now for the last 22 years, we've been a part of the New Life Church family, where God has stretched us matured us and provided a home for our family and has been a church family that our girls were saved in and baptized in and now one of them has been married in. And so I, I just love all aspects of, of church life, you know, using um, my own gifts and seeing others use their gifts um, as a leader, um, giving opportunities for others to use their gifts. Um, Calling people up and saying, hey, I've got an idea. What do you think? Um, I don't know if anybody's experienced that, but I, we enjoy doing that and then watching them uh, give it a whirl and, and doing something new. It's just, just, it's just so um, em empowering, encouraging to see God work on people inside of the church like that. Um, I love being a part of leadership teams, developing vision for the future. Uh, being on missions teams where you're traveling together, you're in a different culture, you run into obstacles, you're solving problems, you're engaging people of another culture in another place with uh, the love of Christ. Uh, it's, it's a unique opportunity that, uh, that happens uniquely within the body of Christ, within the church. Um, one of the things I appreciate most about the church, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, is the expectation of walking through conflict and doing it in a way that we have the objective of restoring relationships. It always requires humility, but it brings about stronger relationships and an increased trust compared to before there was conflict. That is a unique setting. Um, most of our workplaces, we'd love for that to happen, but wow, it doesn't very often because you don't have that undergirding love of Christ that's binding us together. Um, I love being a part of the church so much that I can get comfortable. I don't know about any of you, but I can get comfortable with what I do, with, with you know, how I serve and minister. I can compartmentalize. Um, I can compartmentalize a lot. I you know, tend to work at work, um, family at home, 
and church when I'm a part of the church family. And, you know, that can be uh, helpful to be able to focus in and enjoy the church family is a very good thing. But I'd like to hopefully make a case today that instead of us getting just comfortable in our own comfort zone, if you will, that we would have that be a part of what drives us to bring more people into uh, the church, into the body of Christ, who will in turn have the opportunity to be the church and live the church life themselves. So in doing this, we need to answer the question, how do we, as insiders of the church, love outsiders? So, for the purpose of today's conversation, how are we going to define outsiders? <laughs> we'll do that by considering outsiders, people who have not yet received Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now, these people may or may not be connected to a local church, but they would definitely not be a part of the universal church of Jesus Christ. I mean, we love these people. They're family, co-workers, uh, people just checking out church and attending church. Um, we, they're a part of our lives. Um, and how, so how do we love them? You know, what if we really did what Jesus told us to do? And as um, author Colin Hansen says, Jesus told the first church leaders, who kind of are the ultimate church insiders, right? To undertake the business of turning outsiders into insiders. What do you think about that? Jesus told the first church leaders were the ultimate insiders to undertake the business of turning outsiders into insiders. Jesus told them to do this by directing, to, directing them to do a couple of very specific things. So as we delve into this this morning, let us open up by, by praying together. Dear Lord, we're just grateful this morning. We're grateful for your direction. We're grateful to be a part of your mission with you. And we just ask this, this morning that, uh, that it would be a beneficial time for us to be challenged out of your word and out of your direction in this endeavor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so this morning, eventually, we're going to get towards talking about the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Um, so you may want to put your finger in that spot in the Bible, but, but it's going to be a minute here um, as, we kind of, as we kind of develop this. That in particular passage that you may be very familiar with, but it's worth, worth noting that this encounter of the Great Commission of Jesus talking to his disciples was actually the fulfillment of a meeting that Jesus set up before his death. It's, it's pretty interesting that in Matthew 26, verse 31, uh, verse, uh, yeah, verse 31, this is how Jesus directs that situation. It was just after um, the Last Supper, and they're headed to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. All right? Keep that in mind. That, that's before praying in the garden, before the trial, before the crucifixion, all of that, Jesus had in his mind 
this direction of meeting in, Gal in Galilee. Mark 14 actually quotes Jesus almost word for word in this exact same way. Then, at the tomb in Matthew 28, the, the ladies who came with spices actually encounter the angel there at the tomb. And in um, Matthew 28, verse 6, the, the angel says to them, He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. In Mark chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. Jesus had big plans for this meeting in Galilee. And even as uh, the disciples were, were mourning the loss and being confused in that situation, in Matthew uh, 28, uh, 16, the very entry to that passage says, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Jesus told them before the crucifixion, before his death, before his resurrection, that there was a meeting to be had with them, with him together in Galilee. He had something in mind that was really, really important. So they went there. Good for them, even in their confusion. Now, has anybody ever heard of the compliment sandwich? What's the setting that you've done it or received it? Evaluation. Okay, evaluation at work. Um, do we like compliment sandwiches? Who would, who would like to just take it straight up? You know, I can take it, look me in the eyes and tell me what I need to learn. Yeah, so as much as you sort of so the compliment sandwich, if you're not familiar with it, that's where, um, you know, you need to share some feedback with a, you know, co-worker, a peer, a team member, a kid, a spouse, you know, almost anyone that you have to give any sort of, you know, constructive feedback to, the idea is that you, you kind of, you know, encourage them with, with, appreciation of what they've done and their talents and all the work they do. And then you, you slip in what you really need to tell them. And then you follow it up with, you're the best. Go, you know, storm the, storm the mountain and, and take the hill uh, for the team because we need you to do this and you can do it and you can be effective at it. And so it's, it's this idea that, you know, I know, you know, performance review season is coming up. I have a team at work and I got a couple people that um, they, they work hard, they do a great job. See, I, I just roll into it as I start because I know I've got some tough messages to share during that season with a couple people, and I don't want them to, re actually, I want them to succeed. I want them to be able to accomplish what they want, they want and need to for their careers, 
and for their families and all the goals they have, and for the work that my business has for them. I want them to succeed. I want and need them to push themselves to grow through some something that they probably, or I know they aren't in a situation to accomplish right now. Jesus kind of does this in this setting. And, you know, he has a commissioning message in that in this setting that we're, we're about to uh, go through kind of in a, a verse-by-verse setting. His message is not only to send those 11 that he's talking to, but by extension, all of us. And so we're going to be in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, really focused in on 18 through 20, but really 18, 19, and 20, kind of step by step by step as we build this. So in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and... All right, we'll get to what he said in a minute. But seriously, absorb that statement. As Jesus declaring his authority, he says, go therefore and. Does it really matter what he follows up with right there? Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is stating that he has the authority and he's telling you to go do the thing. Like, whatever the thing is, should we be in for the thing? Yeah, you do that thing. Jesus says, I have all the authority, and it's been granted to me. Go, therefore. So we need to do that. So if that wasn't enough, if you, if you skip ahead to the end of that little passage in verse 20, at the very end, even the second half of verse 20, Jesus follows it up with, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus opens with all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. It's like, yep, I'm in. I will. I need to. I should. Even if I don't want to, I should. And then he follows it up with, and behold, I am with you. Jesus is making clear that he isn't just there, but he is to accomplish the thing. So what is the thing? (laughs) So as part of this sandwich, Jesus directs them, the 11 at that location, and by extension us, to do one thing. And that's clarified in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So... He says one thing, make disciples. That's that's the one thing, and then he he specifies who the targeted audience is. The original text is all ethnos. That means all tribes, all nations, all people groups, everyone. So to kind of paraphrase that whole thing, Jesus authoritatively, and with all the assistance and presence that he has to give, says to us, you've got one job. Make disciples of all people groups. In other words, love outsiders 
until they become insiders as brothers and sisters in Christ, where we will get to love them even more. All right, so, making disciples. Therefore, go. Jesus only said for us to do one thing, and that's make disciples. Go is not step one. Making disciples is the only, is the only objective. Going is going one of the tasks is going the objective? No. Going is assumed here. We, we, we all go. Um, going lives in the background of all of our lives. It lives in the background of, of, of this text, of course. We, Jesus is saying this, but Jesus has already said other things. Like in Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom would be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. In Mark 14, 9, Jesus says, Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. That's the account of Jesus' anointing. And Paul in Romans 1.8 says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So really the question is for us to ask ourselves is will our go count? We're going. We're getting up in the morning. We're going to work. We're living life. You know, we can come and go and work and play and be busy, but, we, but are we making our go count? Jesus assumes the disciples are busy, they're, they're going, they're getting up in the morning, they're living life. Um, and he's assuming by extension that we are too. Not necessarily making plans to do foreign mission, missionary work, but perhaps not ruling it out either. Allowing the presence of God to help in directing our paths. The Holman uh, commentary describes it like this. The point is that we believers are active. We are not inert. Going means crossing boundaries to make disciples. Going across the street. Going to dinner with an unbelieving friend. Going into the inner city. Going beyond one's comfort zone to make the gospel accessible to the lost. Living life is going with a purpose every day. So while this, this go <coughs> lives as an assumption in Jesus' mind, remember way back earlier this year at New Life when we talked about being courageous? Remember that? We, uh, we talked about trusting in God actively like Daniel did when he, uh, he didn't eat the king's diet or when he didn't change his quiet time habits and faced serious consequences but he trusted in the Lord to deliver him if it came to that. Or with his friends when they faced being put in a fiery furnace and they said it's alright. We trust in the Lord. Going with intention 
of action uh, sometimes is the thing that requires the most, most courage to do. It requires us to be encouraged to be courageous, to have courage. Sometimes it's to make our voices function when the Holy Spirit is prompting us into a spiritual conversation or to meeting a new acquaintance. An acquaintance that may turn into a relationship that has gospel potential. We need to live our lives going, praying for opportunities in our normal routines of life to intersect lives of outsiders that can be loved and influenced until they become insiders. So we kind of have established that go lives in the background of our lives and is assumed. But what are the real actions then that Jesus directs us to in order to make disciples? Okay, let's go back to the, the text in Matthew 28, 19 to find that out. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, I guess we've got the new, new life evangelism platform here. We're going to get a tank. We're going to go out to Walmart and we're going to say, Haven't anyone? Line them up and get them dumped, right? <laughs> is, that, is that Jesus' approach here? Because he said to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Done deal. No, it's not. I don't think it quite captures what he's talking about here. Jesus is using baptism to indicate the culmination of everything that's been a part of of sharing Christ with someone, of all the relationship building, of the sharing of the need for a Savior, the call to repentance, the sharing of Jesus' work at the cross, and then ultimately the person's receiving Christ's free gift of salvation. You know, placing their faith in Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives. We know that, that baptism in and of itself does not cause salvation, but it's an act of obedience. It's assumed in Scripture uh, to take place as soon after salvation is possible. But with Jesus' reference to baptism in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, he's, he's really communicating what needs to be believed and agreed with to be saved. To, to essentially, for an outsider to become an insider, that's what needs to be Believes, and then of course followed up. Um, it, it was you know kind of not heard of not to be followed up with baptism at the time. So these agreement points would be that you would agree to the biblical truth of three in one: God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As Jesus's commission to baptize would have been distinct from the one touted by John the Baptist. John's baptism was one of repentance with the anticipation of the coming Messiah, while the baptism that Jesus was calling for was recognizing baptism in the singular name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as a new covenant post-resurrection baptism. Second, there's agreement to receive God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as Savior. 
Baptism is kind of like an oath by which we, first of all, declare the world and flesh rivals with God for the throne in our hearts. There's, there's an enemy, and we live among it. All those things, both the world and our, our flesh. And second, it's an oath to give ourselves to God, to be His. Our own selves, our whole selves, body, soul, and spirit, to be surrendered and happily governed by His will. That's what Jesus is summing up through his call to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it kind of reminds me of the baptism process at New Life. Um, we don't ordinarily perform spontaneous baptisms, where, where somebody, like, today I'm saved and I want to be baptized, even if we're doing a, a baptism service, it's just not, we, we want to be able to, some, some places do that, um, we are much more comfortable to the extent that we're able to discern. We want to make sure that each person who's baptized has a faith in, saving faith in Christ Jesus, and that they have a clear understanding of the step of obedience that they're taking. And and really, by the one, by the time one is baptized in life, at a bare minimum, they've attended a baptism meeting. They've written a testimony, which is so valuable, and worked through it with an elder. And in many cases, they've had a membership interview. It's the culmination of a process that, uh, that a person can be certain, and, and we as the church can be certain that we're welcoming in someone who's absolutely uh, saved. And as, an, as a side note, if you're saved but haven't been baptized, we want you to take this step of obedience and, and public commitment to Christ. And, and we want you to use your gifts and be a member of New Life, become a leader if that's what God has for you. Um, not to, to make our name great, but to better equip disciple makers of the body of Christ. So, so if you haven't, really consider it, um, because it's a great, great step of obedience, a great testimony to others. So why is this step one of disciple making, of, of baptism, the culmination of evangelism, so critical? The reality is there's a truth to there being sin as a natural part of our lives. God's, God deals with deals harshly with the unforgiven, those that haven't received Christ as their Savior. The phrase, God is love, has to be used cautiously because anyone who has not believed and has not received this gift of salvation stands in the path of God's wrath. It's, it's a harsh truth to... To, uh, to communicate. But God's wrath is manifested through God's justice and righteousness and love. But it's not a touchy-feely sort of love. Instead, it's the type of love that is consistent with God's character, where it would be unloving and unjust for him to reward sin and impurity. This should just drive us to pray for and desire to share the gospel people who are in that position. Out of the love we have for them as image bearers of God. So what do we need to do to participate in step one of disciple making? Have proximity to outsiders, work, play, and befriend those that haven't received Christ. Pray for those outsiders that you'd most like to become insiders, that God would open their heart and mind 
uh, to the truth of the gospel. Invite them to church, a life group. Just this week, Joseph invited a guy he works with to our life group. He showed up. None of us have ever met him before. And Joseph doesn't think he's saved. He had a great conversation with him afterward. Um, it's a great example uh, for everyone else uh, to do. Um, have a plan to share the gospel. Practice it. All right, a little pop quiz time. Um, another thing that happened earlier in the year, anybody remember the three circles? Anybody practiced it recently? Remember in life group, we were doing it every single week, or, or when you were taking the class, you were doing it every single week. And so um, I think we're going to put a, put a slide up of the three circles. And if you remember, just to give a quick refresher, is that we've got God's perfect design without sin is how he built things initially. And by our nature, we flee from that. And in our fleeing of that, we no doubt end up in brokenness. And that brokenness is sin. And we're trying to deal with that sin and, and bring rightness back to the wrongness of sin. Remember those squiggly lines that we can share with a person as we're writing there? We say, we, we try to find our own way, whether it's through money and success, whether it's through relationships, or whether it's through addiction, or whatever the thing is that, that we kind of embrace as taking the place that might make us feel more whole. We try to do that. When in reality, that third circle of the gospel of Jesus dying on the cross and then being risen again, God raising him from death, overcoming sin, and having his blood shed cover our sins and forgive us, completing that circle to where our relationship is restored. That's the three circles. Go, watch a YouTube video of it to remind yourself. Have it in your mind. Um, over the course of the last year, I've had five opportunities total to kind of have a, a spiritual conversation. They were all different, went to different extents, but five. There was um, our, uh, in the nursing home with our elderly friend Sally before she passed away. It was an airplane chat with a slightly buzzed, very chatty seatmate. It was a, uh, a team member at work in my office um, who's going through a difficult time. My, it was a trail running relay teammate on a drive home after being awake running for 24 hours, and a class member of a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class that we had out here. The, the conversation took place right out here in the lobby. Only with Sally could that conversation really have been anticipated. As she was failing, and I needed to keep having that conversation with her, she had some learning disabilities, and it was just a conversation that we had continued to have year over year over year. But the rest were completely unexpected. And by the way, three of those happened before our three circles training. And I'm telling you, I, I, I was, it was rough before the three circles. I was rough at it. It was not, you know, I wish I could say I was much more eloquent. It didn't go great. Um, but the two that happened after the three circles, just, I had a path. And they didn't, they didn't both um, culminate in a, in taking someone all the way through them, but um, definitely equipping well. But I only had these interactions uh, because it was an act of love for these people that I either had a long relationship or a really, really short relationship with, but I wanted them to become insiders in the body of Christ. Um, so the, the first step of disciple-making is complete when someone receives Christ as Savior. And um, the, the one 
instance of the, the young man that I shared with after the FPU class, um, it this passage comes to mind of, of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Because at the stage of salvation, uh, Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold. The, whole, the old has passed away. Behold. The new has come. And, and this conversation that happened out here in the hallway, it went quickly from a conversation about money to marriage to common values to a spiritual conversation in about 45 seconds. And all of a sudden, Steph had walked away and she came back and she was like, whoa, what am I in the middle of? And then ultimately, as I walked through these same three circles, I, I asked him, I said, is this something that you're interested in? in completing today, of praying to receive Christ? And, and he said, yes. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, and so, you know, having this passage sort of in the back of my mind, and not wanting him just to check a box and go through the motions, I was like, are you sure? Because this means something that if you, I don't want you to just pray these words. I want you to have a changed life. I want you to have a different standard after today. Are you sure you're ready to, to pray right now for that sort of a life change? And so despite my best effort to dissuade him from doing that, he wanted to. And he prayed right there to receive Christ. It was it was a you know it was a remarkable a remarkable experience and uh, praise God um, to having had the privilege for that opportunity to be a part of it. So that's step one. Step two, as we already know, going is assumed. That's that's the background of our lives. So what are we to do as step two? So back to uh, Matthew twenty-eight. We're going to go to verse 20 again. So we've already, now we talked about baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you is the next step. Teaching you to observe all that I have commanded you. So is Jesus calling us to teach all that he's commanded? No. Teach to observe. Actually teach people to observe all that I have commanded you. So there's, there's a lot that Jesus commanded. You know, what needs to be taught? What has Jesus commanded? Throughout the Gospels, Jesus personally made note of many things. People are are blessed who, who recognize they need God's help. They're, they're blessed that they mourn sin in the world. They're blessed to love righteousness, those who have pure motives, those who work to align their lives with right living, those who prioritize getting along with others, those who are persecuted and have evil plotted against them. Doing these things will earn heavenly reward, but not necessarily reward here on earth. Jesus said we're to be humble, giving to the needy, committing, trusting in God. Jesus said we're to be the light of the world, different from the unsaved, ready to shine the light of Jesus. Jesus said not to murder, but he also said anyone who is angry and speaks harshly will be liable to the hell of fire. He said not to commit adultery, but one who has even looked lustfully at a woman has committed adultery already. What does all of this mean? 
how are we to teach outsiders to, to observe all of it? Not only has he taught these few things, but he also taught on divorce, oath-taking, retaliation, loving your enemies, giving, how to pray, fast, owning earthly treasures, hard attitudes towards money, worry, judging others, getting directions, hard work and success, and the sacrifice of worship. How can we possibly, how can we possibly teach this? And I don't teach it. How can we base these, you know, requirements, if you will, alone? How can we base this ourselves, let alone teach others? And the answer is being in community. Regular, regularly being taught and reading the Word of God in community. Bouncing questions and thoughts and ideas and understanding and misunderstandings off one another in a people ready with loving correction and encouragement. It's the only way. In community, over time, by the way, like we can't study all this in one week and then we observe it by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives the Holman commentary says this by fulfilling the teaching portion of the Great Commission we take believers at every stage of spiritual maturity to the next stage of growth this can range from the infancy of a brand new believer to various levels of spiritual adulthood. Every believer should progress towards the perfect character of Christ, but none will arrive there short of eternity. So we must see ourselves as learners in a family of teachers who themselves are also learners. The believer who is most mature will be most ready to listen and learn, even from the newest member of the family. So at New Life, our mission is to love God, love people, and make disciples. One of our vision statements is that we see a church filled with disciple-making disciples. And especially this year, with the three-circle evangelism training and the steady encouragement of being courageous as part of our sermon series, and our church family is growing, and we see it gradually coming to fruition with more and more people regularly looking to share the gospel as part of disciple-making step one. And this isn't just because we have a few people that are discipling everyone else, but it's because we have a bunch of people in discipling relationships, working out step two of the disciple-making process in life group every single week, and in discipleship groups, D groups, that are you know, reading and journaling scripture, that are working out understanding of scripture and theology in community, being taught to observe, not just what Jesus taught, but actually to observe and do what Jesus taught and commanded. In addition, um, we as a church are also working to make sure that our missionaries, who, who we're supporting, whether it be you know just you know down the road here with Steve Telford, whether it be 
um, in South Africa or other places around the world, we are working to, um, to make sure that their mission and their, their priorities are reflective of our deep commitment to disciple-making. In fact, just last week, the elders were uh, at a retreat together, and we spent a lot of time drafting a missions philosophy that emphasizes that they place, they are placing, and anyone who participates with trips that we go on, prioritize this disciple-making connection, including a connection with the local church, which is, of course, the place where step two best takes place. We'll be sharing more about that in, in communications to come, but we want our whole mission and anybody connected to it to have those priorities because it's what Jesus said. The go is assumed, but does our go count? Through baptizing, step one, just the evangelism part of making disciples, and step two, the teaching part of making disciples happening most effectively in the church. So none of these things I've talked about are because anyone you know, here is great or any one person is great, but it's because of that commission, that, that sandwich of power and authority and promise and hope that Jesus gave that he has the authority and he'll be with us. He'll be with us to the end of the age. He'll be our great help in loving outsiders until they become insiders so that they can become disciple-making disciples themselves, loving and thriving in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're grateful for today. We're grateful for the promise that you gave us, you gave the disciples, that you have the authority. And we're just ready to go. But even with your authority, we have your presence and we have your help. So you've given us the task, you've given us the objective, and you've shown us and built the church as a tool to accomplish it through. We're so grateful for it. So we thank you for this message today. We thank you for the word that, that you have brought us. We just ask that we would each Take part this week as we engage with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.